Hello, good people. Thank you for being back with me. Today, we are going to discuss Ratzinger's second part of his preface to his introduction to Christianity. His preface was bringing some of his thinking up to date in the time from 1968 to 2000 when he wrote it. He originally written the book in 1968 and 2000. He wrote the new preface, and he wanted to say something about the historical developments in between that time frame. So he is, we are dealing with the part now where he turns his attention to religious developments before he had talked about the, um, the fall of the socialist systems in Europe and the impact that those things had had on people. And now he is going to turn his attention to religious developments and he's going to make some general comments about mystical experience and lay movements within the Catholic Church. He's going to talk about some questions regarding imperialism and colonialism as the framework for understanding the Catholic Church's relationship with um, the indigenous cultures, especially in South America. He'll turn his attention to the East then and discuss the practicality of Christian ethics in securing human rights among Hindus in India. He's going to talk about some of the helpful things that Buddhist thought can prov provided to Christians, some helpful reminders for Christians from Buddhism. You'll find that interesting. He's going to talk about the relativism of religion that may be a product of Christianity's encounters with other religions. And then he's going to talk about what seems to him to be the bottom line of distinctions, where the distinctions lie and why he thinks they matter. He thinks that the distinctions between religions are going to matter, particularly in two key areas. First is the grounding of our moral and ethical framework. And second is the grounding of the intelligibility of the world and the aptitude of human reason for making sense of existence. And ultimately, he's going to say that it comes down to a question of Christ and the self-revelation of the personal God. So let's get into these thoughts. After talking about the way that human, human thought was impacted by the fall of the socialist systems in Europe, and the failure of Marxism to provide a coherent narrative for human existence, along with the subsequent failure of Christianity to step into that breach and to offer people a narrative that helped them to make sense of the world and of their existence, this is what he says, quote, in the leaden loneliness of a God-forsaken world, in its interior boredom, the search for mysticism, for any sort of contact with the divine, has sprung up anew. This trend looks for religion as an experience, that the mystical aspect of religion is an important part of it, religion that offers me contact with the entirely other, unquote. Then he recalls some of the World Youth Day events that had happened. This was a, a big feature of the pontificate of John Paul II, who invited young people from around the world. They came by hundreds of thousands, even up to a million of them together to celebrate the Catholic faith, to be um, enriched by their association with other Catholic young people from around the world, to participate in sacramental celebrations, in catechesis, in prayer events, in adoration, and all of these things. And, and he, was, he talked about the reaction that was manifest among these young people. He said, faith becomes experience and provides the joy of fellowship. Something of an ecstasy in the good sense is communicated, unquote. 
he acknowledges that some, in some cases, these effects on the human person were merely transient because they were based on emotionalism. But then he goes on to say, quote, it can also be a moment that brings about a lasting change and begins a journey, unquote. This ties in a lot with what John Verbeke has been saying about personal transformation and the many encounters that people talk about when they talk to Paul Vanderclay, that once they have an encounter, a religious experience, it's not an end in itself, but it sets them upon a journey. Ratzinger also says, quote, similar things happen in the many lay movements that have sprung up in the last few decades. Here too, faith becomes a form of lived experience, the joy of setting out on a journey and of participating in the mystery of the leaven that permeates the whole mass from within and renews it. Notice this phrase, lived experience, that he says, because the lived experience requires a community setting for the support of the journey that the individual person is going on. And you'll like this quote from Ratzinger. The future is made wherever people find their way to one another in life-shaping convictions, and a good future grows wherever these convictions come from the truth and lead to it, unquote. Now, in the, um, another issue that he deals with in this preface is a criticism that is made of Christianity and its encounters with Native people. Here's what he says. Quote, colonialism is said to be essentially bound up with historical Christianity, which was unwilling to accept the other in his otherness and tried to bring everything under its own protection. Thus, according to this view, the religions and cultures of South America were downtrodden and stamped out and violence was done to the soul of the native. Now, he says that there are two different ways that this criticism is made. On the one hand, the criticism can be made basically saying that Christianity itself is kind of alienation for these people, that they should be um, liberated from it, they should go back to their traditional ways, to their traditional beliefs, um, and it is, in a, in a sense, a rejection of them having even any contact with the West, that um, somehow or another that, that this is an oppression of them. And Ratzinger does definitely recognize that there have been injustices and there has been oppression of these people. But he also says that there is another viewpoint that can be made of this, of criticizing the way that the church or the way that um, the West or Christianity has dealt with these people. And that is to say that it's been an imposition of, Europe, of the European um, culture upon them but that they can be Christians within their own culture. So the idea here is that these people have a genuine faith in God and in Christ that they have gotten from Christianity. This is a true belief of theirs that they have embraced and that belongs to them now. But that doesn't mean that they have to abandon everything about their culture and become essentially European because they have become Christian. In, when the faith took over Europe, it was enculturated. And so many of the cultural practices in the, his, in the history of the Europeans were brought into the Catholic faith. These people have their own dignity, they have their own culture, and it is possible for the faith to be enculturated in their culture. It isn't a matter of that in order for them to become Catholic, they also have to become Europeans. 
So Ratzinger admits that many opportunities in terms of enculturation have been missed and that there may still be many more and that there's much work to be done in this area. One thing he does say is, quote, let us not forget, however, that those native peoples to a notable extent have already found their own expression of the Christian faith in popular devotions, that the suffering God and the kindly mother in particular have become for them the central images of the faith, which have given them access to the God of the Bible and has something to say to us today. Now, the next point that he talks about, the next thing he's going to discuss is the Eastern religions. And this would be looking at it from three in intertwined issues, that of the question of the personal God, the view of the human person, and the view of the world. According to the Eastern religions, Ratzinger says, quote, the world has to be overcome as a source of suffering. Religion then points out ways to overcome the world to free people from the burden of its semblance. So this word semblance means that what we're talking about is an illusion, that the world is an illusion, and it's a questioning of the reality of the world. With Hinduism, quote, the essential thing is the experience of identity. At bottom, I am one with the hidden ground of reality itself, the famous Tat Vam Asi of the Upanishads. This differs from the Christian concept, of course, of the unique human soul that is individually created, which in existence continues forever. So Ratzinger goes on to say that in Hinduism, quote, salvation consists of liberation from individuality, from being a person, in overcoming the differentiation from all other beings that is rooted in being a person. The deception of the self concerning itself must be put aside, unquote. Now, this difference in the way Christians view the human person and the, um, the realness of the person, that the person is not an illusion, makes a difference in, the, in many practical ways. And this is something that Ratzinger brings out when he says, quote, where there is no uniqueness of persons, the inviolable dignity of each individual person has no foundation either. In order to bring about the reforms that are now underway, the abolition of caste laws and of emulating widows and so on, it was specifically necessary to break with this fundamental understanding, means here the fundamental understanding of Hinduism, and to introduce into the overall system of Indian thought the concept of person as it has developed in the Christian faith out of the encounter with the personal God. Now, you may not be aware that in Hinduism and all throughout India, for many centuries, there has been a practice of when, when men would die, their bodies would be burned on a funeral pyre and their widows would be burned alive along with the dead body of their husband. In some cases, this was voluntary on the part of the women, but it's voluntary in the context of a great deal of social pressure, of there being no support for women without their husbands, of, um, of a religious idea that there was uh, a great virtue and certain powers that belonged to um, a woman who would do this. So, and also even pressure from family members when a woman would inherit something from her husband that, of course, if she's out of the picture, then that inheritance would go to other people. So all of these, um, all of these pressures would combine to make some women volunteer for this 
but in many cases it was not voluntary. The women were tied to the funeral pyres or, or pushed into the fires um, after they were lit. So it, it was a campaign throughout the 20th century to eliminate this practice throughout, throughout India. It was spearheaded by Christian missionaries, but also taken up by Hindu reformers as well. Ratzinger goes on to say, quote, the search for the correct praxis for right action in this case has begun to correct the theory, unquote. So the, um, some of the theoretical underpinnings of Hinduism are being changed in its encounter with the Christian idea of the dignity of the human person. And that, of course, I'm sure you'll agree is a good thing. Now, we're going to turn our attention to, um, to, the, to a broader um, issues that are brought up by the encounter of Christianity with Eastern religions. Because although Christianity is never going to abandon the insistence that there's a personal God, the encounter with these mystical traditions of the East contains important reminders for us. Ratzinger, Ratzinger says, quote, it cannot be disputed there have been and there are false superficial ways of understanding God as personal, unquote. So what he's saying here is that when we say that God is personal, we can be thinking of it um, in a very superficial way and really trying to apply our human understanding of what it means to be a person to God and that this is not right because he reminds us that the fourth Lateran council says that all speech concerning God is always that all speech concerning God is we have to understand is different from God. <laughs> the, our concept of God is not God. All right. And so um, God is always infinitely greater. The fourth Lateran council says infinitely greater than any Thing that our speech can say about God or any thoughts that we can have about God. And we should not mistake our concept of God for God. So Ratzinger goes on to tell us that we have something to learn from these mystical traditions because they are completely negative in what they say about ultimate reality. They remind us of how little we know and of how mysterious ultimate reality is. However, there is definitely a difference in the orientation between saying that God is impersonal and saying that God is personal, but beyond our conceptions. Because if, God, if ultimate reality is completely impersonal, there's really no positive relationship between God and the world. Ratzinger says, quote, the mystical dimension of the concept of God, which the Asian religions bring with them as a challenge to us, must clearly be decisive for our thinking too and for our faith. God has become quite concrete in Christ, but in this way, his mystery has also become still greater. God is always infinitely greater than all our concepts and all our images and names. The fact that we now acknowledge him to be triune does not mean that we have meanwhile learned everything about him. On the contrary, he is only showing us how little we know about him and how little we can comprehend him or even begin to take his measure. So the great mystical traditions help us to overcome a kind of casual familiarity that we may think we have 
because of God being in Christ, they remind us that ultimately, even this is a mystery. We may bandy about words like Trinity and consubstantial, etc., but we have to stop and think, wait a minute, we're using these words and these words may be given to us by revelation and by the thinking of the church, but in the end, then these are mysteries and they are really beyond our comprehension. I had um, an experience of being struck by, um, by this easy familiarity that I had developed towards something in the Christian faith myself. A few years ago, there were some pictures on the news of some men that ISIS had captured and, and ISIS was crucifying them. And I remember seeing that and just feeling so sickened by the sight of that. And then realizing, wait a minute, I see a crucifix with Christ on it every time I go to church. In fact, I have crucifixes in my house. I see them every day. And I'm not sickened by the sight of Christ on that cross. Why not? Because I've developed this kind of familiarity with this great mystery of the sacrifice of the Son of God. And so... Um, that just shows that we can become um, we can become almost immune to how great and mysterious our own religion is. Speaking of the horrors that are visited by one human upon another, that brings up the question of theodicy. And that's perhaps our most compelling mystery, the question of why God allows evil. Ratzinger says, quote, after all, God's answer to Job explains nothing. Rather, it sets boundaries to our mania for judging everything and being able to say the final word on the subject. And it reminds us of our limitations. It admonishes us to trust the mystery of God in its incomprehensibility. Now, that quotation from him reminds me of something that Pope John Paul II said. This was in a book of interviews with him called Crossing the Threshold of Hope. And the the interviewer asked him about this question of why God permits evil. And John Paul II said, it is a propensity of sinful man to attempt to judge God. And God's response to that has been to come to earth and place himself completely at the mercy of human judgment. So that when we look at the cross, we see our judgment of God. <laughs> That's quite an answer. So, Besides a salutary reminder about the incomprehensibility of God, there's another effect of the encounter of Christianity with Eastern religions, and that is the tendency to relativism. So what is the mindset of the religious relativist? This is how Ratzinger expresses it, quote, for all the differences and yes, the contradictions among these various sorts of belief, the only thing that matters ultimately is the inside of these different forms, the contact with the ineffable, with the hidden mystery. And to a great extent, people agree that this mystery is not completely manifested in any one form of revelation, that it is always glimpsed in random and fragmentary ways, and yet is always sought as one and the same thing, that we cannot know God himself, that everything that can be stated and described can only be a symbol. This is nothing short of a fundamental certainty of modern man, which he also understands somehow as his humility in the presence of the infinite. So the idea of the rel relativist is that what matters about religion is this contact with the ineffable that is at the center of them. And then the idea is that um, they're all, all religions are different ways of reflecting the one eternal being, 
and individuals have to grope along and find their own individual path among the various paths that are available to them in the different religions. Now, Ratzinger is going to question whether it is possible for someone who believes in, who really believes in the Christian faith to also hold to this relativistic idea. And what he says is, quote, through such a relativizing process, the Christian faith is radically changed at two fundamental places in its essential message. First, quote, the figure of Christ is interpreted in a completely new way, not only in reference to dogma, but also and precisely with regard to the Gospels. The belief that Christ is the only Son of God, that God really dwells among us as man in him, and that the man Jesus is eternally in God, is God himself, and therefore is not a figure in which God appears, but rather the sole and irreplaceable God, this belief is thereby excluded. What Ratzinger is saying here is you cannot have the Christian faith and also have this relativistic idea about religions. When, when we do that, then what happens is that Christ ceases to be God and instead simply becomes a man who has experienced God in a special way. And this is different from the way that Buddha and, and even Socrates um, talk to people because um, someone who finds the way can forget the Buddha. Buddha does not point to himself. He points to a way that is not himself. Socrates is the same. Socrates does not point to himself. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he himself is the way. There's not some way that is independent of him. Jesus Christ presents himself as the way to the Father. So he presents himself as having coming to earth with a dynamic mission. He is sent by someone to bring us to that one. This is very clear in the Gospels that this is what Christ's mission is. And so Ratzinger says, quote, if the figure of Jesus is taken out of this inevitably scandalous dimension, if it is separated from his Godhead, then it becomes self-contradictory. All that is left are shreds that leave us perplexed or else become excuses for self-affirmation. So he is very adamant that Christians cannot accept this relativistic viewpoint of religion without completely losing the Christ that is in the Gospels. The second way in which the Christian faith is changed, besides the concept of Christ, is, is this, quote, the concept of God is fundamentally changed. The question of whether God should be thought of as a person or impersonally now seems to be of secondary importance. No longer can an essential difference be noted between theistic and non-theistic forms of religion. This view is spreading with astonishing rapidity. Even believing and theologically trained Catholics who want to share in the responsibilities of the church's life will ask the question as though the answer were self-evident. Can it really be that important whether someone understands God as a person or impersonally? Unquote. <laughs> okay, um, this, this um, comment from Ratzinger makes me remember a statement that um, John Richard, uh, Richard John Newhouse, who is the, the late editor of the magazine First Things, once said. He said, 
uh, that he thought it was a propitious time for the church to open a ecumenical dialogue with the Jesuits. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that stand there. Okay. Um, but Ratzinger goes on to say that this idea, which is the idea that we're being very broad-minded and that in this way we're not going to alienate people of other religions, is really, in a way, an excuse for us that we don't have to encounter the same Jesus Christ that is in the scriptures. He goes on to say, quote, But when we separate Christ and God behind all this effort, there is also a doubt as to whether God is at all capable of being so close to us, whether he's allowed to bow down so low. The fact that we do not want this appears to be humility. But Romano Guardini correctly pointed out that the higher form of humility consists in allowing God to do precisely what appears to us to be unfitting and to bow down to what he does, not to what we contrive about him and for him. So in the end, what Ratzinger is contending is that the relativizing of religions, it strikes at the heart of the biblical faith, and not only for Christians, but also for Jews. Though he goes on to make this admission, he says, Quote, of course, the fact that God is personal is not mentioned in the Bible using that term. So how do we overcome that objection? He goes on to say, quote, but it is apparent, nevertheless, inasmuch as there is a name of God, a name implies the ability to be called on, to speak, to hear, to answer. Well then, what does this God, this personal biblical God, give us? this personal God that Ratzinger is insisting on. Well, Ratzinger would have us consider two areas where the impact of having a personal God is very significant. And this would, the first one we're going to consider is what he says about ethics and morals. Quote, God who is the creator and declares himself in his creation also gives direction and measure to human action. So that would be judgment, right? We are living today in a crisis of moral values, which by now is no longer merely an academic question about the ultimate foundations of ethical theories, but rather an entirely practical matter. The news is getting around that moral values cannot be grounded in something else, and the consequences of this view are working themselves out, unquote. So what he is saying here is that when people begin to imbibe the idea that there is no foundation to morality, then their actions will change, and we can see this happening in the world. He says that once you have removed this moral rug out from under people, what is it that controls human behavior? Well, all that's really left is what he calls traffic rules for human behavior, and whoever makes the rules is the one that controls the other human beings. And if they're not accountable to anyone above them, then really it all becomes a power play. And the calculus for it is going to be consequences. What are the consequences of this or that thing? And the consequences are going to be seen as a calculation with regard to power. In, in the end, if all I'm looking at are the consequences in this life, of, of my behavior, 
and not accounting the inviolable human dignity of other persons, then ultimately the consequences I'm going to be concerned about are going to be the consequences for me. What's it going to get me? And so it can it leads to inevitably to the accumulation of power among human beings who want to tyrannize others. So Ratzinger says that there's a different way to look at it. He says, quote, faith in the logos, the word in the beginning understands moral values as responsibility, as a response to the word, and thus gives them their intelligibility as well as their essential orientation. So when we are oriented that way, we understand that the moral decisions that we make are as a response to someone who is higher than us. Now, this doesn't mean that it's Christians alone who bear these concerns for morality in the world. Ratzinger says, quote, connected with this also is the task of searching for a common understanding of responsibility, together with all honest, rational inquiry and with the great religious traditions. In this endeavor, there is not only the intrinsic proximity of the three great monotheistic religions, but also significant lines of convergence with another strand of Asian religiosity as we encounter it in Confucianism and Taoism. So that is his discussion of the difference that God makes with regard to morality. The second difference he wants to highlight is going to be what a personable, knowable, communicating God makes with regard to our orientation towards human reasons. And here, or human reason, here Ratzinger invokes the great symbol which links human reason and God, and that is the symbol of light. Here's what he says. Having said this, this is after he talks about um, the, the, dark, the darkness or the incomprehensibility of God. He says, having said this, we must still emphasize the brightness of God, too, along with the darkness. Ever since the prologue to the Gospel of John, the concept of logos has been at the very center of our Christian faith in God. Logos signifies reason, meaning, or even word, a meaning, therefore, that is word, that is relationship, that is creative. The God who is logos guarantees the intelligibility of the world, the intelligibility of our existence the aptitude of reason to know God and the reasonableness of God, even though his understanding infinitely surpasses ours and to us may so often appear to be darkness. See, the world is intelligible. It has a purpose because it comes from reason and the reason is a person who is love. That's the biblical faith. So then, because of this, our reason can speak about God. We are not, when we look at creation, we're looking at something that comes from this reason and that is intelligible to us. It's not just appearances that we have to try to escape. It's something positive. It is good. Ratzinger goes on to say, quote, if it is true that the term logos, the word in the beginning, creative reason and love is decisive for the Christian image of God, and if the concept of logos simultaneously forms the core of Christology of faith in Christ, then the indivisibility of faith in God and faith in his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, is only confirmed once more. So 
we we cannot make a separation according to Ratzinger we cannot make a separation between Christ and God because he goes on to say quote we will not understand Jesus any better or come any closer to him if we bracket off faith in his divinity which is kind of a popular move nowadays Ratzinger points out that if Jesus is only a man then he recedes into the past if he is not God and God has not come to be close to us in Christ then God re recedes into the distance he goes on to say quote if God has truly assumed manhood and thus at the same time true man and true God in Jesus then he participates as man in the presence of God which embraces all ages and that is for Ratzinger the bottom line he goes on to say that if he had his his book introduction to christianity to write over again in the year 2000 that he would have spent he would have put more um he would have spilled more ink over the questions of the interreligious dialogues which obviously he finds to be quite interesting but he believes that his fundamental approach in putting the question of god and christ at the center is still a good approach and so when we talk together the next time we will be going into the main part of the book chapter one of the introduction to christianity by joseph ratzinger in the meantime until we are together again treat yourself as though you are someone you are responsible for helping because you are responsible and so am i and together we are making the world bye for now and thank you so much for watching